What's happening, Sonic Explorers? Welcome to another thrilling episode of Jazztopia. I'm your host, Bobby Spellman, coming to you from the heart of Bushwick, Brooklyn, during the COVID-19 pandemic lockdown 2020. Hope everybody's staying safe out there. Hope you're having a nice time. I know it's been uh, turbulent. It's been a turbulent couple of months. Uh, I hope everybody's trying to stay sane, do what you can, trying to avoid becoming Jack from The Shining. I've been doing my best to stay busy in these unusual times. Been uh, able to really go back and revisit some old records I haven't heard for a while. Trying to read some books, gain some knowledge, trying to live the life of a of a of an improvisational monk, channeling the energy from the from the cosmic ether to enhance my creative potential, something like that, you know. Uh, I've been very fortunate here to be able to continue to teach music lessons via uh, online Jetsons platforms, but uh, I've been really feeling for a lot of my friends and colleagues in the New York jazz scene who have been, up until now, relying solely on uh, performance as a, a primary means of income. And uh, I've been looking for organizations and grants that uh, are out there trying to help out the jazz community. And uh, one in particular has been really encouraging to me. I've seen a lot of my friends being helped out by the Louis Armstrong Educational Foundation. So I'm thinking if you've got some money coming in these days, if you're able to work from home and you're not too stressed out uh, financially by this whole coronavirus experience, and you love jazz music and you want to support the artists, uh, you can head on over to lewisarmstrongfoundation.org and click on the grants link. And they have, an, they have an option there to donate to the cause. Now, they've already, uh, we're already past the deadline for applications for musicians themselves, but I'd be willing to wager that they're going to be continuing to uh, help the musicians in need. And uh, I know they've been a really great organization. So if you've got a little extra money and you want to support the artists, uh, head on over to lewisarmstrongfoundation.org and uh, donate some money to the Louis Armstrong Educational Foundation. They've been doing really good work, and I've been happy to see it. Uh, in addition to checking out some old records I haven't heard for a while, there's still new records coming out all the time. Uh, there's a new record out this week from my prior guest, Joe Morris, entitled Arcade. The uh, record was was recorded many years ago, but it's just coming out now and uh, features a bunch of my friends from NEC back in the day, including Brad Barrett, Dan Penser, Matt Delegati, Nick Newberg, Pat Keene, and many others. And uh, Joe Morris is a is really a is a fountain of musical production. He's an amazing performer, and uh, he's been putting out. I mean, he's already got 150 albums to his name, and here he is putting out another one. Uh, I haven't gotten a chance to listen to it yet, but no doubt it will be amazing. He's uh, he's always on it. Uh, so be sure to check that out. Be sure to check out all the new music that's coming out. If you see some somebody's putting out a record, buy it from them. Go to their Bandcamp page or iTunes or something. Throw them some loot, because uh, these days, we need as much as we can get. All right, gang. Well, this week we're going to try out something a little different. We're going to take an educational adventure into the depths of music theory. We're going to nerd out. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, this is going to be a much-anticipated episode for many of my friends who have asked me over the years about my adventures in music theory, and I think it will be an enlightening and mind-expanding experience for many of the 
listeners out there who are really interested in improvisation and composition and the various music theories that are used to explain and advance some of the music that we love so much. My guest this week is pianist, keyboardist, composer, educator, and music theorist Ben Schwendener. Ben is a professor in the jazz department of the New England Conservatory of Music and also teaches at the Longy School of Music and at UMass Boston. Ben studied with the great composer and theorist George Russell at NEC before helping to edit the final edition of George Russell's Lydian Chromatic Concept of Tonal Organization and continuing to work as George Russell's teaching assistant for many years. Ben has been teaching the Lydian Chromatic Concept at New England Conservatory for uh, many years, and I asked him to come in this week to give a casual introduction to the concept to many of the people who may be interested in the subject but who have a hard time finding information on it. Uh, the Lydian Chromatic Concept is really the first theory of music that came out of the jazz tradition, although it applies to all styles of music, but for, for just about ever, there's always been uh, a lot of confusion and misconception around the theory. And I thought that we could have a little conversation and try to run through some of the ideas involved to uh, clear up some confusion and shed some light on this somewhat obscure and often overlooked theory of music. I'd first heard of the Lydian chromatic concept as a kid reading the liner notes to Kind of Blue, uh, but it wasn't until many years later as a graduate student at New England Conservatory that I was able to gain some new knowledge on the subject. Uh, I was fortunate to be able to take Ben's class, and uh, at first I was skeptical, as I am of just about everything, but I found that the deeper I dug into the concept, the more useful I found the perspective that it gave me, uh, looking at many different styles of music and the relationships between those styles. I found in particular that the Lydian chromatic concepts roots in the physics of sound allow it to really apply to and bridge the gap between many different styles of music, from bebop and hard bop and swing to free jazz and the avant-garde, as well as uh, 20th century classical music, including that of Charles Ives, uh, Schoenberg, and Stravinsky. Our goal here was to create a little bit of a user-friendly uh, overview of the Lydian chromatic concept and to talk to Ben a little bit about his experience working with George Russell and the way that he got into music theory, as well as uh, the way he thinks about education and some of the applications for the perspective that the theory or many music theories give. Ben has told me that this will be the first time that he's really discussed a general overview of the Lydian chromatic concept on the internet, and certainly there's a lot of misinformation out there. So this may be a really great resource for people who are interested in learning about new theories and checking it out. Uh, for more information, you can also check out George Russell's book, The Lydian Chromatic Concept of Tonal Organization, Volume 1, from Concept Publishing. Uh, ben worked on that, uh, as well as... Ben Schwendener's own organic music theory, uh, which deals with a lot of the uh, principles of the Lydian chromatic concept and some more uh, ideas extrapolated from it. And it's a great book. Definitely check that out. Uh, ben really has kind of a conversational, personal style in the way that he writes about it. It's certainly uh, the, the theory element of it can get a little deep, but he always keeps it uh, lighthearted and accessible, as he did in this conversation. Uh, we had a lot of fun. It's always great hanging with Ben. Uh, Ben's really a super creative educator, composer, uh, pianist, and a great friend. And uh, I was really happy that he wanted to come on the show. 
and give everybody a an overview of Lydian Chromatic World and his experience in music theory. So, hope you have a great time. I know I did. Without further ado, here he is, Ben Schwendener. All right. Okay. Great. Perfect. Yeah. Well, thanks for doing this, Ben. Thanks. Appreciate thanks. it. Thanks, Bobby. It's great gonna, to see you. Yeah, good to see you as well. Glad yeah. you're staying safe back in uh, Jamaica Plain, Massachusetts. Yeah. Yeah, doing well. Good. Doing well. Uh, so we're going to get deep here. We're going to get deep into Lydian Chromatic Land. Oh, dear. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I thought we could start with... Uh, now, first of all, you are the professor of... What's your official title? The professor of Lydian Chromatic Concept at New England Conservatory? Uh, no, I'm, I'm just a... a I'm just a professor in the jazz department who teaches, uh, you know, Lydian chromatic concept mm-hmm. and other things, jazz composition and. Sure, and then also Longi and where else are you at these days? Uh, Longi, and then I'm also at uh, UMass Boston um, uh, every other semester, or so teaching mm-hmm. a course on creative and critical thinking. Sure, which is a kind of a fascinating subject. But yeah. yeah, hopefully we can get into that a little bit later okay. on. Sure, sure. Um, now your background, how did you find your way to the Lydian chromatic concept in working with George Russell? Was that, was that primarily an interest in George Russell's music that then became an interest in theory or was it the other way around or what, what's your yeah, origin? Yeah, here? it was, it was, I was, um, uh, I'm from Michigan originally and mm-hmm. I, um, was going to Michigan state. I was a language and uh, business major there, hmm. but I spent most of my time doing music, uh, composing and improvising and jamming out with friends and creating strange sounds and listening to a lot of different albums at that time. Mm-hmm. And we would make uh, cassettes, my friend uh, Greg, me, Greg Ramsey, and, uh, oh, and other friends too, but hundreds and hundreds of cassettes, you know, and we would clean off the records and put them on and record them and we'd just marinate them and memorize everything Mm -hmm. um one time we were out looking for albums at a place in east lansing and we came across uh an album by george russell called aesthetic and it it intrigued us first of all because eric dolphy was on it we were really hip to eric dolphy Mm -hmm. at that time we hadn't heard of george russell but we picked it up and as soon as we put it on uh as soon as i put it on it was like wow this is really like controlled melodies from another, you know, with another perspective. Sure. And uh, upon closer examination of the Riverside album down at the bottom, uh, there was, to learn more about George Russell's Lydian Chromatic Concept, please contact, you know, at something, Concept Publishing or whatever. Anyways, wow. we were able to find a copy of the book, uh, the 1959 edition, 56 edition, I think. I still mm-hmm. have it, actually. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, we, we just kept pouring through it. Um, it was hard to understand. Um, and I won't, I'll be honest, I really kind of never really totally understood it until I came out here in 82 to work, uh, to study with George. And the, the way that I picked him was, um, I decided to pursue that, was that I went through all of my cassettes. And I thought, you know, with the freedom of a, 20-year-old, I thought, well, I'm just going to pick somebody I want to study with. And 
George Russell's name popped up, and I found out he taught at New England Conservatory. And I, uh, I called up the conservatory, and Martha, who was the, the um, receptionist there in the, in, the, in the dean's office, she answered the phone, and I just said, well, I'd like to get in touch with George Russell, and uh, could you give him a message? She goes, well, sure, he's standing right here. <laughs> and I'll never forget it. She handed the phone. She goes, George, and I hear this, hello? And I, and I was just like freaking, because this is <laughs> one of my musical idols, you know? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's like, I don't even know what I said, but the long shot is I... I, um, I Came out and I toured NEC. I met George. He wrote uh, in the in the copy of the concept. He wrote to my newfound friend Ben, much evolving to higher levels in all things, which is really sweet of yeah. him. Um, and I came out here in 1982 in the fall, and I did four years. I did, uh, uh, and he was my primary teacher for that whole time. Yeah, that was your undergrad. That was my undergrad. So you switched from from uh, business and whatever. What were you talking about? Foreign languages. Foreign foreign languages. And mm -hmm. what, what was the? Uh, so, so then you ended up transferring over to NEC, and then you worked with George for four years in your undergrad, and then continued to work as his assistant for. Quite I a would long say time. I studied with George for four years. I okay. It wasn't until near the end of those four years that um, my background in languages and. Uh, editing and stuff like that, I found myself, he was asking me to help him in editing the Lydian Chromatic Concept, Sure, which is something I continued on for another 20 plus years. Yeah. Do you ever go back and revisit the original book? Um, I mean, I know what's in it kind of intimately. Sure. How, how, how much different is the, is the original book from the, the most recent uh, volume, you know, volume one? The, you know, it's, when I say most recent, it was published a long time ago, but the most recent edition. Of the Lydian Chromatic Concept. Yeah, correct. Um, the most recent one has been updated to include a more expanded understanding of vertical tonal gravity, which is, has to do with chord, uh, mode, chord mode relationships. Parent sure. scales. I'm probably going to lose some of your listeners here. Yes, but we're going to try to we'll, take it. We're, we'll take we're it, bring it back. step by step and try to bring them back. Yeah, in. I mean, yeah, I think okay. I, I think it's I think it's beautiful. It's the, it's the last book that George uh, was able to publish at the end of his life, and um, yeah, and explains this uh, explains the foundation of what the Lydian concept uh, was was based on the ideas uh, sure. in it. Mm -hmm. that, All right, so that's a perfect perfect segue to my my uh, my next question. Here is. Uh, what is your? Give me your elevator pitch for the Lydian chromatic concept. <laughs> the elevator pitch for the leg. So you run into. So I run into musicians all the time who go, "Yeah, I've heard of that. Uh, what is it?" And then you go, "Well, okay, let's see. How do we do this?" If you got a, if you got sort of a, sh of an introductory blurb, let's say, on what this is or what it encompasses, how would you do it? Well, first of all, I wouldn't necessarily... Elevator pitch sounds like you're trying to sell somebody something. Sure. And, okay. uh, I mean, maybe in some ways, I think I more what keeps my sanity is just being able to explain it and facilitate an understanding of the ideas that it's based on. Sure. And connect it with uh, things that folks already know. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. like the major scale. Sure. So... Uh, and historically, it came about because back in 1946 or 47, George was hanging with Miles Davis, and they were trading changes, and uh, 
George asked Miles what his musical aim was, and Miles said, I want to learn all the changes. So I got George to thinking that there must be a different way of looking at chords. So long story short, he got TB. He was diagnosed with tuberculosis, and he was in a hospital for 18 months, mm-hmm. during which time he learned about rudiments of music and writing music and stuff. But he also, being entirely self-trained, never graduated any had with any formal education, uh, relied on his intuitive center. That was uh, really where the in concept came from, was all from George's just asking questions, really mm-hmm. more scientific questions than anything. Um, and um, long story short is he thought, well, okay, for every chord, there must be a scale of the, a bunch of, a group of notes that sound closest uh, to the sound of that chord. Mm-hmm. All right. So, um, uh, because this is what jazz musicians had pioneered back then in the in the you know twenties and thirties and so on, is playing over Tin Pan Alley and and uh, standard tunes and just and coming up with melodies that conveyed uh, what what chord was being played at the moment. A lot of times sure. that had to do with with knowing your chord tones and then playing notes around those. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he said, well, let's look at the major chord to start out with. If I, if I, I haven't lost you yet, have I, Bobby? You, you, nope, you're right on, uh, you're uh, right you're on right. track here. This is great. <laughs> okay. It's great to see you, my friend. All right, let's see. So, all right, so he's, uh, he's in the... He's in the can you see? Yeah, you can see pretty well, right? Yep, uh, yeah, doing great. Right, yep. So he's playing a major chord. This happens to be... Um, now let's play... Uh, yeah, let's play C major. Well, look, just using the ears, that fa, the fourth degree against the major chord. In jazz education terms, we're told that that's the avoid note. You don't really lay on that. You kind of move. You kind of move off it, or treat it like a leading tone or whatever, but you don't voice a C major chord with an F in it, sure. generally. I mean, you can. There's nothing. It's just really out there. Okay. Yep. So what's up with the first four notes of the C major scale? It seemed to George, and it seems to the ear, that it sounds more F than it does C. In other words, there's an F major chord. Mm-hmm. Right. All right, and then let's look at the next four notes. Oh, that certainly sounds C. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna bump it up to express to the top floor. Um, what the heck is going on? Well, there's two tonics in the major scale relative to do, relative to the one we're relating to. Because mm-hmm. remember the major scale kind of took over the church modes, I believe, in the 15th century or something like that, uh, and became the, the, the primary scale of Western music. So uh, it was designed to give us functional harmony, among other things. Sure. But to give us this sort of dominant tonic uh, relationship, or in jazz terms, two, five, one, <laughs> All right. or subdominant, sure. dominant tonic. Yeah. All right. So... The, the first four notes of sounding F, well, you look at it, okay, so what is that interval of a fourth? Well, it's an inverted fifth. 
and then you then you think the idea behind it is oh then there's a definite connection to the overtone series because in the overtone series as i'm sure you know as a trumpet player mm -hmm. um if you play a fundamental well the first partial that you hear is the f is the octave i'll just play it like this you hear it ring pretty well cool yeah 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 and then yeah nice huh okay yep. and then yeah. i'm just gonna hold that c down and i'm gonna go and you hear that you hear yeah. that ringing. Mm -hmm. Sure. All right. So, you know, Pythagoras knew this. And the fifth is the basic unit of what George termed tonal gravity. And that's the big idea of behind the, the Lydian concept is that it unites. It, it, it takes an understanding of organization really from science and the overtone series. But it starts with a vertical premise, meaning this. Mm-hmm. It means that a ladder of six intervals of a fifth of fifths is a vertical tonal gravity field in which the tonic of a fifth being the lower tone, it goes all the way down to the lowest tone and there is only one center of gravity or sun, George would like to say, or Lydian tonic. The Lydian scale is not going anywhere. It just sort of is. Yeah. It's one of the authentic modes, too. In... All right. Now, if you, if you take that Lydian scale and you put it in thirds, look what you get. You get a F major 13 sharp 11 chord. But let's just take out the four notes on top. You get... F major. So wouldn't it make logical sense if A equals B equals C that F major is the same as F Lydian? Okay, not asking sure. you to believe that, but let's just take that as a premise that really mm -hmm. an F major chord is primarily a represent representative of F Lydian. Okay, sure. if that's the case. And now, now yeah. just to slow down a little bit, so you're yeah, getting please. there by stacking, the, because the fifth being the first interval in the overtone series after the fundamental and the octave, yeah. you're now using that as the, the lower of the fifths is going to be the tonic, and so you're building the scale on those fifths so that you get the seven notes in the Lydian mode. Well, I understand that's where they came from, but right. I could play them any way I want. I could, I could play all white. You know. Yeah, but the, but the construction of the scale is coming from the understanding that the the first fifth in the overtone series is giving it a, is giving a tonicization to that. Yeah, exactly. Tone. Exactly. Exactly. Sure. So okay. what we're dealing with here is really looking at it in terms of its roots in the overtone series. Yeah. Uh, coming from the strongest harmonic interval, that basic mm -hmm. unit of measurement is the, of, of, of the fifth. Sure. So, okay. I think All right. we're carry on back to where we All were. All right. Well, I think we're on floor 20 of, of 38 I and mean, we'll see how, we'll see yeah. where, where we end up. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. So what the heck is going on in the major scale? If the first, if the, if the vertical tonic of the C major scale, which is really F Lydian is F it's related to C. So why do we why does it resolve to C? Mm -hmm. Well, because think about it. If an F major chord really is an F Lydian scale, with or without all of the other notes of of the scale, then a C major chord would be C Lydian, right? 
Sure. So. And in C Lydian, check it out. There's no F. Sure. It's an F sharp. It's a, it's a seven tone, or I believe you could say diatonic, self-contained tonal gravity field in which C is the center of gravity. And, you know, C Lydian is not going anywhere. Yeah. A lot of times bebop musicians knew that, and they would end songs on the sharp four. It gives us sure. absolute finality. It's like, that's it. End of story. Right? Yeah. You're done. And I'll tell you, that was something that I, I had to grapple with in the beginning, a little bit uh, taking your class, is because we're so used to a major scale s resolving to the tonic that when you start playing with the Lydian mode, it doesn't have the same forward momentum that brings you to the tonic. So it's it, so wimpy. It's so wimpy. I've been, I've been <laughs> well, wimp, really. I don't know. <laughs> no, it is. It's, Lydian. This, the here's the here's something that's so misunderstood. I mean, most of the stuff on the internet is it, un, misunderstands and sure. totally overcomplicates this. Mm -hmm. The Lydian stuff is yeah. You can make melodies, beautiful melodies, really even new age or Disney style melodies if you want with it. Sure. Yeah. But Lydian stuff is just informs how chords are voiced, voiced and what, where they come from. Sure. It's, the, it's what's called the horizontal relationship between chords that explains the, how, they're, how they're behaving. So let's go. Can we go back to C major scale just Absolutely. for a second? Yeah, All sure. Right. So, so you got, <coughs> excuse me, two uh, vertical entities. You've got, you have got subdominant uh, F major on four. You got a nice amen. Sure. Cool. Um, why does it resolve? Now, I have a feeling that you might know, Bobby. I do. But I know you do. <laughs> but, but, but for the, I, I, for the I'll, people I'll, at home. Uh, okay, we're at, we're, at floor, we're at floor 26. We're making good progress. Right. Okay. Well, think about a circle of keys. Um, well, there's a circle of keys, and then here is uh, the one you're relating to, so it's C. And then in a sharp direction, going up is, is oh, I'm sorry. No, in a flat direction is F. So in other words, C, F, then B flat, E flat, A flat, D flat, G flat. It's kind of fun. Uh, and then the sharp direction would be G, no, yeah, sorry. Yeah, G, D, A, E, B. Okay, enough. Let's, but let's just work with just the C and the F. You following? Perfect. Following. What I'm doing? Gotcha. Yep. <laughs> you know, we, we're getting creative during this so, coronavirus thing. Of All right, course. So, so we've got the circle of fifths. Yeah. So what happens? We start on Do on C, and we go down one fifth to really to F Lydian. And then we can take a, our G7 chord, which, believe it or not, is G7 is really F Lydian mode two. Now this gets into this gets into the whole idea of modes, and what George discovered uh, is that chords are can be looked at. The uh, you know he clarified the idea that chords are modes. Yeah, for him, and they chords can, were modes. It wasn't 
playing modes over chords so much as it was their unified system. Oh, it, 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 it's, it's their unified organization. That said, of course you can play all kinds of mode, any mode over any chord, and, right. and that's that's all explainable too down the line. Then the sure. on the four hundred and thirty second floor. So, but let's keep it down under a hundred and go to um, you know why that resolves. Why does why does G seven or F major resolve to C? Because the center of gravity of G G major or F seven or for that matter D minor, because you can't have D minor without F. You take an F Lydian scale. You put it one, two, three, four, five, six. You put it six degree in the bass, and you get a nice Dorian minor. You know? Not going anywhere. Sure. So, I got a little sidetracked there. Sorry about that. <laughs> That's all right. So we have subdominant, dominant, tonic. Okay, the to the center of tonal gravity of the subdominant is F. The center of gravity of a G7 is F. But watch what happens when we go to C. That F is canceled. Sure. It doesn't mean that you can't still play it. And in a way, it becomes even more important melodically because it strengthens this idea of resolution. So to cut this a little bit short, resolution, final sounding resolution happens because the vertical components in the major scale, this would be the subdominant and dominant or the two chord, sure. resolve one fifth in a sharp direction to the C major chord or the A minor chord. Because mm -hmm. A minor would be C Lydian as well, with or without an F sharp. Sure. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so, so there's two there's two concepts combined in there that I think maybe just to just to go yeah. over to, to clarify it. Sure. One is the idea that, and this this is uh, following up on what you started with, but the idea mm -hmm. that the major scale and the mm -hmm. sound of the major scale is the internal resolution, in one fifth in a sharp direction. Yeah, the sound of the major scale represents the horizontal. Uh, Goal-seeking, resolving—it's the sound of resolving to the tonic in its right. most basic way. And that's the difference between in it, maybe the role of the major scale and the role of the Lydian mode in or the Lydian scale, depending on how you want to look at it. In that mm -hmm. context, is the Lydian now we've you know moving one fifth in sharp direction. Okay, we've resolved. The other thing that I think is helpful for for people to visualize this is the idea that, uh, and I'm sure you'll get to this, but the idea that all of what we know in conventional music is all works within this, what I'm going to call a paradigm. But the yeah. idea is that um, the perspective changes. So in so as an example, like when I try to explain this to people, oftentimes I'll use a 2-5-1 as an example, where in conventional music theory, we would think of a 2-5-1 as being the two of the major scale, five of the major scale, one of the major scale. Mm -hmm. But the way that you're describing it is, it's the, it's the six of the Lydian to the two of the Lydian Mm -hmm. resolving one-fifth in a sharp direction to the one of the Lydian. So it's, it's the sixth mode of F to the second mode of F, resolving to the first mode of C Lydian. Yeah, and then I'm going to throw something in that, that I, I'm going to start throwing in a lot more sooner than sure. I was when I was 
when you were in when we were working together, you were in my class, is that right away I can say, well, C major could also be considered five horizontal of F Lydian. Mm -hmm. What do I mean by that? I mean that that mode, the fifth mode of F Lydian, which yes, it's C Ionian, has a vertical identity, which would just be C sus or F over C. And then it also has C major. And, but the, that mode, that fifth mode in context of a C major chord sounds horizontal. It sounds goal, it sounds forward moving. Sure. Yeah. So it's both. It's both. Right. But but the thing to dif differentiate is that from this perspective, the real organization is being understood as having as as coming from the vertical. In other words, the vertical is explaining the horizontal, explaining resolution, not just one fifth, but any direction, flat, sharp, and one to six fifths flat, or one to five fifths sharp. Sure, you I know. often think about that with um, <clears throat> the uh, that Tad Dameron turnaround on um, uh, Lady Bird. Ladybird, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that works within, if you look at where those chords are in the circle of fifths, it's the same principle, except instead of moving one fifth in a sharp direction, now you're moving whatever it is, six fifths to, or, you know, however many, yeah. whatever, four to three to two to one or something like that. Uh, anyways, we can look at that later. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, all right. So we've covered now the first seven tones. If you're starting from the tonic of an F, and you're moving up to what makes it the sort of foundation of the Lydian mode as the center of the concept, right? Uh, yeah. We've started he, with, now we've gone up in fifths, we've started on F, we've gone up in fifths all the way, now we get Lydian. Now, let me know if you think I'm jumping ahead here too far, but what happens when you go beyond that seventh note? Um, well, you get, you start, you start kind of, Getting in, getting at odds with <clears throat> equal temperament a little bit, because <clears throat> what equal temperament did, as you know, is it tempered each of the distances between semitones to a hundred cents. Sure. So, um, even though it can sound really, really cool to go, that sounds great. Sure. But. If you were to play the the play that flat two against the C major chord, or against an A minor chord, you have major third, or a seventh chord. You have a seventh chord with a major seventh. So mm -hmm. you have to look historically. I'll tell you what I understood George Russell to do. He was not looking for to be an academic theorist by any means. He was just trying to find answers to questions that he couldn't find in traditional Western uh, music theory. Sure. But he knew that the five main types of chords were major, minor, and seventh, which Lydian all gives you on mm -hmm. one, six, and two, respectively, and then augmented and diminished. So if you just take that next fifth, which would be the flat two, and say, okay, let's... Uh, Let's wait on that one, but let's go up to the next one. Well, then you do get the augmented. Mm -hmm. 
And that gives us augmented major chords on one. It also gives us minor major sevenths on six. And it also gives us seventh chords with seventh chords uh, with sharp elevens. Sure. Very, very common alterations or uh, colors that are added to those to those chords. Mm -hmm. And then after that, after the sharp five, you get a flat third, <clears throat> which gives us diminished. You know, and diminished. We know there's only really three diminished chords on the piano. <clears throat> but... Um, you, uh, in a tonical way, diminished now can be looked at as, as uh, you know, accommodated by the, would it be the ninth tone in the Lydian chromatic order. Sure. So, so now, so to re recap here, just so we're all, so we're all following Sure, this, sure, the, sure. The order, the, what we're talking about is the Lydian chromatic, the order of tonal gravity. Yeah. So if we start at F as the tonic, because mm -hmm. we're having fun here and it's all white keys and you can look at it on the piano, we've got mm -hmm. F. Next up is a fifth is C, then G, D, A, E, B, and that gives you the Lydian mode. Now we're going to skip the flat nine because that doesn't fall in line with the F as being the tonic and within an equal tempered system. So we're skipping a fifth and now going up to C sharp, which is going to create the Lydian augmented parent yeah, scale. scale. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then that gives us, so where the Lydian mode would give us all of the uh, modes that we would conventionally call the major modes. Mm -hmm. Now the Lydian augmented, still based fundamentally on the Lydian scale, is going to give us all of the modes of what we would call melodic minor, which we use all the time. Yeah, yeah, sure. So that's the that's so again you're still using all the same modes that you would I mean you're thinking about oh, it as all yeah. the same modes in, in yeah. melodic minor but now instead of thinking of the root as or the or the parent scale let's say as being the melodic minor scale now you're thinking of it as being the Lydian augmented scale which is Lydian right. with the sharp five on it yeah and you yeah. can do the same thing if you go up another fifth now instead of the the C sharp now you've got an A flat you've got the the flat third on there and that gives you another whole series of modes. Yes. And you can do the same thing with the whole collection of the 12 notes. Yeah, but we don't need to necessarily keep going, especially for this discussion, maybe sure. at a later time. But to give to, to have the, the concept in the back of one's mind is to... The, because I think one of the things that I find particularly useful about it uh -huh. is oftentimes when, let's say as an improviser, my the world that I live in is kind of an inside-outside world where I want to be mm -hmm. able to play free music and I also want to be able to play, you know, standards or whatever. And to me, a lot of this stuff really bridges the gap. Instead of just saying, oh, you're playing either inside or outside, now it gives you this whole spectrum of possibilities from in to out. And if you, have, if you understand that the 12 tones, you can go all the way to that 12th tone and that gives you a certain color that you're working with. So mm -hmm. somebody like... You know, Eric Dolphy might be working with all 12 tones in the, you know, based on that fundamental or 11 tones or 10 tones or whatever. Yeah. But you can look at it as being this whole wide perspective from in to out. Yes. And that's something that it occurs to me that in, in conventional theory, it's often you, you have an understanding that, okay, this is an out note, this is a dissonant note, we're using different keys, we're playing keys over keys or whatever. Mm -hmm. but, there, but you don't have such a sort of fluid connection between those two worlds as you might thinking of it from this perspective uh yeah i i think everybody intuitively knows that you could do anything 
you know, we're free to play any notes they want. But the yeah. idea that actually there is a logical organization between all uh, tonal resources of equal temperament, that's what the ideas of the Lydian chromatic concept, um, uh, you know, seek to explain. So, um, yeah. Sure. And, I, and this has been, yeah, that's been a lot of the use, or a lot of the way that I think about these things is that it, it just is, it has all these, the connections between various different styles of music that may not otherwise fall under the Western uh, paradigm as well. You know, if, if this is based in physics, in the physics of sound, in the overtone series in the fifths, all of a sudden you can apply this now not only to, let's say, Western music, which certainly it also applies to, but also, in my experience, uh, let's say, you know, I've, I've used it in Ethiopian music, or you can look at 12-tone music, you can look at Schoenberg's music, yeah. and it, you can ex everything is, is sort of explained within this umbrella that otherwise you have to sort of create new Ooh. concepts from, the, from sort of conventional theory to explain. I would, um, yeah, you're right. I would, I would make one really, really important, uh, <clears throat> important uh, uh, clarification about the concept. The concept is not a method. The concept is not a recipe. It is not, you know, like I have had students over the years saying, oh, you'd love this. It's so Lydian. Frankly, the Lydian sound, like I said, it's kind of whitewashed if it's, if it's overused, a little sure. too many sharp 11s. That's just my, not my cup of tea. I'll throw sharp 11s in chord voicings left and right, but in terms of, anyways, blah, blah. So everything, like you say, can be understood from this perspective. If that's so, then really what the Lydian concept, uh, organic music theory, um, seeks to explain are the ingredients you know yeah the elements sure. the and so then history the rich history of not just uh jazz but classical and you know ethiopian and brazilian and world musics uh you know all of those beautiful composers and musicians they are the they are the chefs they are the re the recipe makers sure. that's that is music history and those are beautiful things to uh to study and to transcribe and to understand. Um, but the Lydian concept doesn't tell you what to write or how to yeah. write. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I might have to just, I, I just want to underscore that's, that is, uh, that's precisely the reason that I really dig uh, teaching it and working with it because I don't feel like I'm, you know, imposing any uh, stylistic requirement on myself or students as well. Sure. Yeah. I, I think of it as being dis descriptive rather than prescriptive or something. Yeah. Or the idea that, all right, this is a way this is a way you can look at this, but it's not it doesn't mean that then you have to write or play or do anything any differently. It's or that, that it rec recommends anything in the same way that uh, yeah, you might I get mean, from classical. At you know, the risk of uh, at the risk of, of jumping ahead too much. I mean, this is on my piano. This is a uh, that's a Bach chorale. Yeah. Guess what? Bach chorales. I don't think that that Johan was using Lydian chromatic concept, but but <laughs> damn, I, I think that I think there's a whole lot of A flat Lydian happening here. So here's that's Lydian diminished, you know. Mm -hmm.
that's but those chords, the same the, the chords are C minor is really E flat Lydian, E flat, uh, C minor over E flat, which is E uh, which is still E flat Lydian, and there's G major. But guess what? G major is G Lydian, but he's playing it within the context of A flat. And like you had inferred earlier, what relationship does A flat have to G? Well, it is five fifths flat, bro. So. We know that resolution from, you know, all kinds of music from around the world. But sure. how beautiful it is to just understand that that G major, you know, even though it comes from, I mean, if I play, if I just play straight up Lydian, sounds kind of cool, sounds almost weather reporty, but yeah, yeah. if I go, <clears throat> we hear it all coming from the same scale, but Certain modes are, like I mentioned earlier, are vertical. Certain modes are horizontal. And this idea of vertical resolving to horizontal is what I think the concept does a beautiful job of offering a, 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 a you know, different perspective. Sure. Uh, do you want to go into the various levels of tonal gravity? Sure. Uh, do you think we're getting too far? I think we could do it. I think we could dip our toes in there a little bit. <laughs> Well, Bobby, I'm gonna let I'm gonna let you kind of direct the uh, direct the questioning here. Sure. Now, if there's anything that you think we've left out that would be you, I mean, there's a there's a this is an endless well of knowledge here. So there's well, no way we're gonna get, you know. But I mean, but at I'm this point, in terms of uh, you know, your your perspective on an overview in some regard. But you have, yeah, go on. I was just gonna say, at this point, maybe your listeners should press pause and go have a of a drink of water or you know, uh, uh, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, breath of fresh air. But anyways, um, <laughs> yeah. So, so you can think about these things as on the maybe a, maybe a, a way to introduce this would be to say it seems to me that that the whole of let's say the the concept operates in sort of concentric circles, whereas maybe the first thing that you can think of is just the note unto itself. Like a note is dealing with the overtone series within that one note. And then from there, you can think of it as a collection of notes. Let's say a vertical collection of notes. Mm -hmm. All right, if you build on that one note, you might get a you know the Lydian mode. And then from there, incorporating that into an entire piece of music, now you've got the contrast between these different the, the motion from one mode to another around the circle of fifths or where whatever. And then you have like a whole the entire piece or a whole let's say series of pieces. Even you could think of it as sort of a macro concept made of these smaller component parts. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, let's um, let's let's break let's break that down. <laughs> yes. What you're basically saying is there's two there's th basically three types of of gravity centering elements. Sure. Now I'm gonna just I'm gonna just give a side note. One reason that the concept has been so difficult for so many people, myself included, to understand is the terminology. I get it. Sure. It's because it, the terminology arose from George because there was no words to really describe that he could find uh, to describe it. And also, you know, it was during the space age. So it's it's you got some cool, cool terms. Yeah, here. you got to go. You got to yeah. throw the Jetsons terms. You in got there. a little bit. And that's awesome. That's awesome. I love it. Totally. It's, it's yeah. space like, you know, jazz in the yeah. space age. OK, so. But the most important, if I can interrupt briefly, the most important, I think, is, is understanding that the gravity concept. 
the gravity oh, is yeah. a term I think is central. Is the we idea got that- we got three different types of levers on our gravity spaceship. All right. So now we're going to go to this. We're going <laughs> to. Perfect. I know you, li- you like that, don't you? All right. It. So let's look at three different things to center melody on, for instance. Okay. Let's mm-hmm. center the melody on the chord. Well, that would be the vertical tonal gravity centering element. So every single chord <coughs> has its organization, has its vertical organization, you know? It's, and if you, if you construct a melody, say you're going down the river of all the things you are, there's a beautiful uh, chart called the river trip in the original uh, version, uh, and actually the, the later version of the Lydian Chromatic Concept. Mm-hmm. talks about how Coleman Hawkins represents this local stopping at each chord town. So he's, he's playing, you know... In his own way, of course, but he's sure. going, he's relating to A flat major and then D flat major. Uh, uh, you know, um, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. B flat, I'm sorry, B flat minor and then E flat seven, A flat, and so on. And this is really the foundation of how we are oftentimes in jazz education, for better or worse. This is how we're thought to think of it is chord, here's a mode over this chord, here's a mode over this chord, moving through the thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's how I was. That's what I was taught. Uh, sure. You know, even at Michigan State, uh, studying with Ron Newman, um, mm-hmm. I learned all my stock voicings and ways to play through changes. I mean, it, it was invaluable, helping me totally. get through standards, especially with all the uh, playing I was doing back then and still am. But what I was going to say is that uh, that's the vertical way of of thinking is understanding. Um, understanding an organization of the chord. And a lot of times, and you mentioned jazz education, one thing that, that I think is, is, is a big thing is our, our like guide tones, chord mm-hmm. tones, and like working around certain chord tones within a chord progression. This is kind of a vertical, vertical activity because you're looking at a chord, you're going, okay, I'm going to make a little, I'm going to really like land on this chord, I'm going to land on this chord, but I'm going to do it in a crafty way. Awesome. Okay, so that's sure. vertical. Mm-hmm. But guess what? Chords go places. The Lydian doesn't go anywhere, just like the church modes don't really go anywhere. If you listen to Gregorian chant, they just float, sure. right? Mm-hmm. But chord progressions uh, in Western music, sub, you know, dominant tonics type of stuff, they move, uh, and they they are written in major and minor keys. And those major and minor keys are really not Lydian major and minor; they're major scale minor and minor minor scale minor. Sure. So they're, uh, you know, they're, they represent tonic stations. And that harmony traditionally tonicizes that, those tonic stations. This behavior of relating, in this case, melodically to a tonic station is what George termed horizontal tonal gravity. It's ha- it's, it, it happens concurrently. You can't have horizontal without vertical. In other words, horizontal is more than a few things. It's a number of things and the relationship between them. You could think about vertical as being the existence of, of a single thing and horizontal as being relationships. Sure. And George would go as far as to say that's not just in music but in life. You know, you can have goals, but everything is made up of individual vertical elements. So you get a philosophically correspondence 
corresponding about this as you want. Maybe that's yeah. good for another time. Well, I don't know if you can get he because he did have a not to I want to get I want to get into this, but he did have a an, a nature of really relating a lot of this stuff back to uh, to sort of greater philosophical ideas as well. It's, tr- it's true. It's true. He he would say um, he would say if it makes sense in music, it's got to make sense. In other fields, in other disciplines, in nature, and you look at it, you know, think about the the uh, tonal gravity field, say, of the Lydian scale, and having an. Let's look at the solar system. Well, guess what? The Earth is not the center of the solar system; it's the Sun. Even though a lot of us would like to think that the Earth is the center, but the gravity is with the Sun. Right. So, you know, um, but. Our horizontal center of gravity is the Earth because we want to see the Earth survive, especially now that everything's shut down right. until who knows when. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. And then, so now let's say, well, what's the best way to put this? Let's, let's ease them in. This might, be, this might be as far out as we can take people uh, getting used to this. But yeah. um, so then the, the, finally you get super vertical. Ooh, wow, supra, awesome. Sounds like a Greek god. It's yeah. true. It means overall, like the eonic state. But let's be, you, you mentioned it in terms of like a whole section or a form, you know. So mm-hmm. the organization of the whole music, much in the same way, you know, you take a look at this, <clears throat> take a look at this Bach chorale. Well, it's written in the key of E flat major. Is that right? No, it's written in the key of B flat major. Sorry. Uh, I broke it down into Lydian. So I broke it down into Lydian stuff, so that gave me all my vertical modes. So mm-hmm. I can actually blow through these changes, improvising, coming up with my own stuff. It's not going to sound anything like Bach unless I use some of his recipes, sure. uh, which I would probably not do, but I, you never know. I'm free to do that. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, Man, there are a lot of resolutions happening here. Every other chord or sure. every few chords, there's a lot of resolutions. This, and we hear those resolutions, you know? We hear that motion. Right. And, and that's and what that's, gives it its... That's horizontal. It's for, yeah. Okay, but check it out. And then he goes, he goes, all right, it starts in C minor, right? Mm-hmm. It starts in C minor. And, you know, uh, that means, like, the overall tonic station of the whole thing could be looked at as C minor, all right? Even though we resolve to different keys. Um, Oops, I'm sorry. Uh. All right, and so forth. And then he finally ends with... with that nice Picardy major at the end. Yeah. We heard that C major is sounding like, wow, so bright. Why do we so- why does it sound bright? Bobby? Because we're moving three fifths in a sharp direction. Wow, you got it. That's exactly <laughs> it. Yeah, and when you when you move from <clears throat> C major, well look what happened to that E flat. E, e flat got whacked vertically speaking, right? So the vertical sure. exists within the, the the exists within the horizontal exists within the super vertical. But listen how beautiful it is if we don't just all of a sudden go. I'm going to go G, 
there's a G sus, and then I'm going to go. I, I'm not going C Lydian, but I'm going this, but I'm going. You hear that mode. You're still hearing this, this really strong sense of a tonic, but you're hearing this context. But I'm relating to it vertical. This is what George termed verticalized horizontal chord modes. Ah! But <laughs> get in the weeds. Yeah. Well, but the thing is, is, I think that these are super important to know because otherwise everything's just this whitewashy vertical, linen-y, Lydian world. Right. You know, and that's not the world that we live in. I don't think so. We live right. in the world with the people being told to inject bleach. So, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, we live with di different types of uh, goal orientation. We need sure. to accommodate. Yeah. So, All right. That's a that's a pretty strong overview. I think. I think we've that was a little a lot stronger than I was planning to say. But go ahead. Yeah. Great. Uh, are there? Let me ask you this. I'm sure that over the years of teaching this, you've run into a lot of misconceptions about this because nobody knows anything about it. People, Everybody's read the liner notes to Kind of Blue, and they understand that this is a thing that has existed and it has had an influence on it. Mm -hmm. What are some of the misconceptions that you, that you hear from people uh, related to this? I think that you can do that or you can't do this. Yeah. It just that's, takes it out of the premise. And one of the biggest problems that people have who start to study it is they buy into this whole Lydian thing, unity, and then all of a sudden horizontal tonal gravity comes around and we tried, they're trying to like put horizontal into a vertical container. But the fact is it's concentric. You right. know, every, there's, you have moments in time, you have individual ingredients like paprika or garlic or, you know, whatever. Yeah. <clears throat> but then you have recipes and recipes are the relationship of the ingredients coming towards the tonical whatever you're making right mm -hmm. so uh it's the idea thinking that, that yeah. there's both you have you have you you're in the moment so you understand each vertical element at the same time you understand relationships and the goals that are being set up and arrived at either with preconceived ways, like a, like, a, like a recipe or a puzzle that you put together. A lot of times, jazz education at the beginning is taught more like a bunch of puzzle pieces that you can use to, to get through pieces in a, with cer certain solutions. Um, but, uh, you know, ultimately, um, they both exist at the same time. Sure. Vertical and horizontal. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. And I think the other thing is that it's it, this is something that applies to. I, I think you're you're speaking to this, but it applies to any st any style of music or any approach of music in that respect. It's like it's all kind of encompassed into the same thing. It isn't right. Like, yeah. Uh, the, and again, that comes back to the idea that it's it's descriptive rather than prescriptive, or that yeah. you know, all right, you know, this isn't this is this is coming from sort of all traditions in a certain way. Yeah, if you th if you look at you break apart a piece like Rites of Spring or, I mean, Scriabin's Prometheus Song of Fire or so many other pieces, you see that there's these modal, these vertical modal components, and then there's also these horizontal areas as well, and then there's an overall understanding of the key, whether it's in twelve tone music or whatever. There's 
always going to be some behavior of things relative to an overall tonic, to overall organization relative sure. to an to, to to different tonic stations or goals that are happening and to each vertical element. So it all it all happens it all potentially happens at the same time. The one that the level of tonal gravity you're on is determined by what you're relating to melodically at the moment. Sure. So you could say back to the river trip that le- that Coleman Hawkins is on the level of vertical tonal gravity is relating to the chord. Coleman uh, 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 that's, I said Coleman Hawkins, right? Yeah. Okay, and then Lester Young, for example, would be on the level oftentimes of horizontal tonal gravity. His longer melodies would not necessarily, you know, sink into each one of the chords that were happening, but rather relate to the larger tonic station uh, that happened mm-hmm. along the chord stream. Yeah. And then if you get, let's say you have like an Ornette Coleman. As an yeah, example. he's taking a rocket ship, and he's relating to the reality that everything is contained within anything. <clears throat> so within the A-flat Lydian chromatic scale, he can play... can play anything over, you know, whatever chord is happening. Sure. And that's the chromatic part in Lydian chromatic, isn't it? Uh, that has to do with the, I think Ornette would be less chromatic than pantonic. Sure. But what but, I mean to say is, and we're not getting into that. That's Bobby, that you're, yeah, you, far, you're covering man. a lot of material for... <laughs> Uh, All right, we'll we'll call it a day on that. But but just the idea that when you say <laughs> when you say Lydian chromatic, the Lydian part everybody gets because you're moving up in fifths, you create yeah. the parent scale from fifths, and then the chromatic part is that it also going up far enough, you get the whole all of the twelve notes in the um, you know whatever Western scale, yes. chromatic scale. Yeah, yeah, it's true. D- have you ever tried to relate this, or do you know of anybody who's tried to relate it to, let's say, quarter tone music or you know, Indian music or things outside of the Western tradition? Because uh, I realize that it's rooted, it's certainly rooted in, in in the twelve notes of the chromatic scale, and I think it makes sense that it would be. But has anybody um, ever tried to relate this outside of that tradition? Possibly. I mean, Harry Parch did a lot of cool stuff, making instruments and things. Um, oh yeah. Uh, Dave Fazinski. Good friend has beautiful quarter micro guitar stuff that he does. He, you know, he worked with George Russell for a while, but I think, you know, that's a whole nother lifetime of research right there. I think sure basically is, you yeah. could think that, that that tonal gravity affects the way everything is organized, not mm-hmm. just in music, but on you know, in life, gravity. George would say, he goes, you want to argue with gravity, just step outside that window. <laughs> you know? So Sure. Yeah. yeah. That's the related... old school, but... No doubt. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you've... Now, you have your book, Organic Music Theory. Mm-hmm. And you... That came out... When, how many years ago did that come out? Now? 2017. Okay. Right. And this is sort of the, the culmination of the work that you've done teaching this at NEC and elsewhere. Uh, yeah, this of... is this is my uh, this is my attempt to to uh, explain the ideas that uh, have been taught at NEC and elsewhere that are behind the Lydian chromatics uh, concept. <clears throat> you know, just in my own words, uh, in a way that hopefully can demystify it and at the same time give uh, give real um, a, a much more clearer understanding. 
uh, and a clearer understanding of its origins and the contributions that George Russell uh, gave. Sure. Uh, and it's a great book. I think it, you did a great job of not only, I think, clarifying a lot of the stuff, but also it being, a, 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 it comes out in your own voice. Like it, it, it is a very, I think, approachable thing because you speak in your own terms. You're, you as a person are not, a, are not an overtly academic style you know, like you're not coming in here in a tweed jacket or whatever, telling us what we have to think or anything like that. No, you've got a very open perception on it. So, but I think it comes out in the book, and it's a, it's a comprehensive approach to this. Yeah. If anybody wants to check this stuff out, I think that, I mean, there's a whole wide thing. But of course, there's the Lydian chromatic concept of tonal organization, George Russell's book, and then also um, organic music theory covers some, some of these things, maybe from a slightly different. Uh, perspective, but from your own experience in music in gen sort of on a grand scale. Yeah. Organic music theory does cover things like horizontal tonal gravity and uh, super vertical tonal gravity and other broader applications, pedagogical and outside of music as well. Yeah. Um, uh, like I say, the, the first book of the Lydian Chromatic Concept is basically an, an understanding of uh, vertical tonal gravity. So it's, sure. a, it's a rewriting of the first edition. Yeah. Uh, so I thought that because this whole idea of horizontal, the stuff we covered about, <clears throat> you know, about this sharp and flat relationship, uh, I think this, this needs to be, these ideas need to be clarified um, so that there's no, you know, confusion about, how everything is connected. Sure, no doubt, yeah. And one of the most interesting things is that I think that this, it might be part two, the second section, you talk about it, this, the, let's say, I don't know exactly the way that I put it as a foundation, but um, these concepts then being applied to a sort of greater creative field. So when you're teaching at Boston University, you're not talking about music theory necessarily for its own sake, but rather as it applies to a sort of greater... Um, Artistic or creative disciplines. Yeah, right? this would be actually be UMass Boston, but um, UMass Boston. What did I say? Uh, Boston, uh, Boston University. But, oh, I'm yeah. sorry. My, my so apologies. sorry. Yeah, UMass Boston. Um, I, know, I know that. So uh, in 2000, uh, I met Peter Taylor, who unfortunately passed away uh, late last year. He started the creative and critical thinking department at um, UMass Boston. I met him because a friend of his, Brad Bellows. Uh, has triplets who were at that time. Uh, I started teaching them when they were eight years old until they were just about ready to go off to college. Uh, we would have recitals at our house, and, and much in the same way that the concept doesn't legislate taste, I would kind of facilitate teaching kids in a way. Sure. Uh, okay. So that everyone was writing their own music and creating their own... Their own um, I was just working with each one of them to help them create unique music for themselves. At the sure. same time, learning about music and, and ear training and historical languages and all that stuff. Okay, so anyways, we had very entertaining concerts here of original I remember, music. I remember a couple of them. I, I, yeah, or, or and, and amazing. And then we would have guest artists. George Russell came many times. Also, Rand Blake performed. Joe Maneri performed. Uh, David Azarian, when he was alive, he performed. Uh, Mark Rossi, Diana Fisher, um, yeah. So and and others. Um, but at one of these, Brad Bellows came, and he was really. I mean, Brad Bellows, uh, Peter Taylor came uh, with Brad, and Peter said was just he was always such an inquisitive, beautiful guy. 
he immediately saw that, wow, this would be a really great thing to somehow design a class uh, at, for this department, this creative and critical thinking department. And he asked me if I would give a stab at it. And I said, well, Peter, I just had a bachelor's in jazz composition. He goes, I think you're, you're, you just give it a stab and see what you can do. And I, I did. I designed a class for non-musicians based on this idea, this idea of vertical and horizontal tonal gravity. The idea that, okay, what do you want to create? You create anything you want to, but then let's break it apart in, into elements. And lo and behold, what my, I, my thought is, is that myself and many others, when we want to create something, the first thing we do is get and try to look for an instruction manual. And this is important to do, obviously, right? Uh -huh. But at the same time, if we really want to like, you know, create something uniquely of our own ownership, aren't we going to understand really each of the ingredients that makes up the recipe or the design or whatever. Sure. And in that way, even streamline and have more conscious control over what goes into it and perhaps even be more efficient in conveying whatever it is, an idea. Could it be a book, a business, a website, uh, you know, a basketball coaching thing, a pedagogy, whatever. Anyways, sure. that's, so that's, that's been running since, um, every, like, every other year since 2000. And... Um, <clears throat> and it's all dialogue based. All of okay. the, yeah, all of these classes, including the Lydian concept, are all basically, uh, you know, dialogue based. Where we're all like, you know, working together uh, at sure. the same time as individuals creating unique works of our own. Yeah, and so. that's what you want. You want to have that the dialogue between different. That's that's how that's how new ideas come about. As people bounce in different concepts off each other and try. Yeah, try out I don't think this and, is this is not unique to my style of teaching. There's lots of other teachers and 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 you know people who who do this as well. So this is sure. not a unique approach. This is just kind of going rather than a that rather than a. It's I look. I'll just. I would say that, that the essence of the book, uh, Organic Music Theory, is that creativity is just choice. So are you, choosing, are you choosing from recipes? Are you choosing from ingredients? Are you choosing from a combination of both? And just realizing the freedom. So anybody who's ever made choices is inherently creative. Sure. So, so that, then, then that, takes, that, that goes that you can say, okay, well, most everybody makes choices, so what about talent? And you could think, well, talent is a myth, you know? Sure. Yeah, yeah, and that's a kind of a neat way to approach everybody. Yeah, just to say to you're out talented, yeah. you're making choices. Yeah, you know. Let me ask you this from from a from a educational perspective: is do you think about how do you bridge the gap, or let me put it like this: how do you balance allowing people to be creative or trying to maximize their creativity or encourage their creativity, and the and also the sort of sometimes rigid discipline required to just be a good piano player or be a good anything. I think uh, what I've learned from my teachers and, and uh, experience to some degree is that it's consciousness, just being conscious of what you're doing. If your hand positions it is a certain way when you're playing, are you conscious of that? Are you conscious of the length of the notes? Are you conscious of how you're working the pedal? Are you conscious of, you know... If you're playing a jazz standard, do you really need to play this similar voicing throughout the whole thing, or can we do, do we have other choices? Breaking it down, so sure. understanding each element that is into it, and then is, it's just a matter of trying to do what it takes in order to be comfortable in whatever choices you make. If well, I yeah, want to play, 
if I want to be able to play high notes, if my conscious, if my, if I'm consciously thinking in terms of, oh, this is a choice I want to make, I then have to sit and practice this stuff in order to get. Yeah, stuff you, to come out. yeah. Just thinking about it, being conscious of it, is just you know kind of like wishful thinking. So, right. <laughs> yeah. but as a teacher, then you have to say, all right, but listen, we got to take out this metronome and get this together, or or how do you approach it? Because you seem to be more in line with the sort of allow uh, encouraging people's creative invention. I I kind of prescribe to the idea that if people are creating things that they really own, they're gonna. Uh, not feel like they got a job to do. And sure. it, then that makes my work much more effortless because people care more about what they're doing. I mean, look what you did. You would come in with works about all kinds of crazy stuff. But the, <laughs> it, was, it was your ownership. And now you've got, you know, you've got a great big band and you've got a, an album coming out, hopefully in May. Yep. You know? so, It'll come out. Whether we'll have all the pieces together, we don't know. But yeah. We'll see what happens. And you've got a lot of, lot of stuff happening. Uh, you try. Uh, all right, I got one for you. I got a question. I got to read it, though. I got to read this one, okay? <laughs> all right. What is, ready? What is oh, yeah. Ichinen Sanzen? Did I say that right? And uh, how does Ichinen that apply? Sanzen. How does that have, what does that have to do with that would be a, That would be a more of a, that would be a, a, an understanding that 3,000 life conditions exist in the same moment. That's a Buddhist philosophy. Sure. Buddhist concept. Uh huh. Um, how do you apply that? Do you think about it. Uh, well, uh, how do I apply it? I mean, I like, think. How do you think about that in, in the context? In the <laughs> context. Well, okay. In a in a very feeble way, I'll try to do that. Um, I would look at it as a super vertical reality: the idea that everything exists within one thing, or one thing has the potential for everything else. You know, um, sure. If if you want to break it down, what each Sansen is, I think there's something in my book that explains it. The yeah. ten worlds yeah. and three realms and the ten times ten and uh, yeah. Well, check it out, everybody who's listening, and check it out because it's cool. <laughs> I wanted to see if you, if I get you. On that I one, mean, but. I will say that I will say one thing that was really attractive to me. I studied concept for. Uh, you know, I came here at 82, and then in 1986, I met a wonderful bass player named Dave Zox, and he introduced me to Nietzsche and Buddhism. Mm -hmm. And I started chanting, Nam Yoho Renge Kyo, and I joined the, the Soka Gakkai. And I've been, you know, very uh, uh, involved with the Buddhist practice since then, you know, uh, sure. and the community. And I find that the philosophy is much in line with science. I find science and reason... Uh, to be kind of refreshingly creative uh, mm -hmm. and interactive, you know, sure. uh, but also commanding respect. Um, sure. Yeah. No so, doubt. so, um, yeah. And also I think that this idea that, that we have this inherent, we are microcosms of a macrocosm that would have something in, that would have a, 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 an essence of that each and Sansing concept as well. Sure. Yeah, I appreciate in many regards how how a lot of um, and not certainly not just with this, but how many of these musical concepts will relate to a sort of larger. Field, yeah, me too. You know? And and you're in that world, especially. I mean, I, I wanted to get you down the road a little bit into into you know you're studying Buddhism and your your uh, the relationship between those things, but mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's 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 really interesting to get into these these concentric you know circles and yeah and what have you. Um, all right, now. Is there a way? Do you think about 
uh, let me say it like this. So you have a trio. You've got a series of different um, really interesting organizations that you'll do. You you work with dancers and you work as a, as a solo and duo and everything. You're doing a lot with synthesizers and you've got all these groups that you're putting together. As you're playing and composing, is this something, is all of this sort of theoretical component to this, which is your wheelhouse, is it in the back of your mind and you're using your intuition or how how might you use this information that you've that you've built on for so many years i think i think what the biggest uh, benefit is ear training and learning the uh, learning the geography so i mm-hmm. might go run out in the woods and if i know the woods i'm going to maybe do something different every time sure. i'm not going to really think about how well i know the woods but i'm just going to kind of interact with what's around there and i'll probably sure. discover things that i don't really understand which is awesome yeah. So if I'm sitting down, I'm playing, if I'm improvising, if I'm jamming with Kenwood Denard and Mark Friedman, uh, the mobile trio, um, man, I am not really thinking theoretically at all. I'm mostly thinking ears and distance and connections and macro, and maybe we'll be jamming in one key-ish in different rhythmic gravities, because the concept I'll explains rhythmic gravity as well. We're not going to get into this now, no, Bobby. But, no, right, yes, okay. Sir. <laughs> um, and then, you know, but I might just say, wow, okay, everybody's kind of like in the land of E-flat minor, but I'm going to just kind of go somewhere in A, blues, and just do something there. But then I'm going to maybe use some movable chromatic interval structures, or maybe I'll, you know, in other words... But I'm not going to say that to myself. I'm just going to end up doing it. Right. But it's something that's been internalized in you as a way to kind of view some of these things. You're thinking about, like, I think so. you have that I as mean, options in the same way that we have, you know, as we learn some kind of vocabulary or as we build on our abilities, we have these options. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, pretty good. Well, now we're all locked indoors here, unfortunately, for the next little while. Uh, uh, or at minute, least yeah. away from other people. I guess mm-hmm. you've been lucky to get outside and <laughs> be able to travel the, the world here. But do you have any um, do you have any projects coming up? What do you work? What have you been working on? What's been your focus as a as an artist? My focus has really been um, hmm, back to Bach. I have been analyzing for two years uh, Bach chorales and fugues and. Um, motets because I know that there's something there and I'm just trying to get to the bottom of it. And so what I've discovered recently working with another student, Henry Gottfried, was this idea of multidimensional vertical contextual uh, analysis. Okay. So what that means is much in the same way we were talking C minor is E flat Lydian, but it could also be the three horizontal of A flat and Mm -hmm. so forth and so on. We can go into standards. We can go into other, you know, basic chord progressions. Take a real book, for instance, and apply it that way. We know darn well if the the thing's in the key of E flat that the first chord is related to the E flat major scale and not E flat Lydian. I get it, right? So, you know, but I'm not going to voice an E-flat major chord with an A-flat in it. I'm Because no, I kind of know that the F minor chord is going to come real soon, you know? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I got so you. So that's one, that's one, that's a very basic way. But you see, not the, if you take the Lydian, going back to the first, one of the first topics, the Lydian, Lydian augmented, Lydian diminished. Hey, man, 
you just break it out, all of those modes down, and you can see, oh, there's all these beautiful major, minor, seventh chords, diminished chords, augmented chords that can be related on those degrees, that are created on those degrees. But because the, their vertical source is whatever, the A-flat Lydian augmented or the D Lydian diminished or the C Lydian or whatever, that explains the context that they're going to have, whether they're vertical or horizontal. So then your navigation through accord changes, you know, becomes like a creative journey of choice. Mm-hmm. And like rather than knowing like what a bunch of notes sound good with certain chords, you understand this multi-dimensional, vertical, contextual, what did I call it? Contextual analysis. Something sure. like that. Anyways, but, um, you know, just working with, working with Bach, um, like this is a, this is a, this is a fugue, mm-hmm. um, and that's, you know, being able to read through, read through that and find a way to apply it. Been working on that. Um, now, is, is what's driving you forward on this, your, it, the acquisition of knowledge, or is it, do you think about these things as being a means to an end where the end is a creation of a new thing? Well, I'm already I'm already looking towards the next project because I think I think that the, I'm going to wrap it up with this last fugue that I did a fugue 14 from the from the uh, well-tempered clavier. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not not going to wrap it up, and I'm teaching a class on modal analysis at Longy that starts next year, Longy School oh, cool. of Music. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it what it's done is it's really helped me to bridge the gap between traditional. Western music theory this, and this understanding and historical practices. And uh, it's super trained my ears. And my goodness, Bach is like, you can learn so much from him. It's, uh, it's endless. It's mind-blowing. Oh, sure. mm-hmm. uh, that said, I've got a whole bunch of synthesizers, like you said. And I've been kind of grooving on a bunch of analog stuff. And... Uh, yeah, and then also working with uh, my, my friend Angelo Dello Iacono in Switzerland, uh, going to be uh, on tour with a show that we created called No Plan B next year, if the country, if the world's open. Sure. Uh, we'll be performing. When's that scheduled for? That's scheduled for a year from now, in the spring. Okay. So We can keep our fingers crossed that so we're back, in, <laughs> back to full. Yeah, you, yeah, you too. Uh, I do. Uh, I do. Oh, I and I do uh, one t- t- project I love is is it's called Night Song. It's, it was created by Daryl Bickle. It's at the. It it runs uh, every Sunday evening, most Sundays, at the First Congregational Church, and it's uh, basically um, plain chants. His his versions of plain chants with along with Gregorian hymns, and I just do free modal improv behind it, and I've been doing that for about twelve years now. In the dark with candles. That's awesome. It's pretty chill. I like yeah. it. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, very cool. I like that. Great. And well, we, uh, yeah, and I cook covered. a lot. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah I like that. It's always like good seeing your uh, with my you know, daughter. Wild creation. It's always making me hungry, man. <laughs> that's the one thing about living in Brooklyn is I don't get a grill, you know. Oh, but uh, okay. some someday, perhaps. Yeah, I'm sure. Know? Yeah, well, we covered a lot of ground here. We've covered a lot of ground. Hopefully, people's heads aren't spinning too much. But I always, I was, I'm, I was, I'm happy that you could give, give, uh, give the people at large just a little taste, give a, the idea of some of the things you're doing. Is there yeah. anything you, th- you feel like we've left out, or you'd like to add, or? Oh any? yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure. And people gonna <laughs> go. I have questions. I have questions. So you know, if they want to 
contact she got in contact with you and and you can put them in contact with me if 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 if, if you can't answer the questions sure. you know so and they can find they can find you on your website or you can find us where yes. they'll know they'll know where to find yeah, gravity that, arts gravityarts.com dot, no gravityarts.org Org. Or Ben, oh, sorry. Ben, sorry. or Ben Schwe- No, it's fine. It's a, yeah, it's a nonprofit. It's it's yeah. It's uh, org. Or uh, Ben com. Both sites which need a little bit of updating, uh, but they'll get it. You know. Yeah. Soon enough. Great. Cool. Well, thanks a lot, Ben. This has been really uh, really informative, man. Really great. It's good yeah. to see you. It's good to see you again. It's great to see you too, Bobby. Good luck with everything. Thanks. We'll be in touch. Love no to doubt. Emily. All right, gang. Well, that was a lot of fun, wasn't it? Thanks for joining us for another episode of Jazztopia, featuring the great Ben Schwendener and the Lydian Chromatic Concept. What a roller coaster of conceptual elation and emotion. Uh, I hope you had a lot of fun with that. I know I did. If you'd like to keep up to date with what we're doing here at Jazztopia, Follow us at the Jazztopia SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash Jazztopia podcast. Uh, you can also follow me on Facebook at Bobby Spellman Music or on Instagram at, at Bob Spellman. And I'll be sure to keep you up to date with the episodes coming out. Uh, real soon, we're going to be putting the interviews up on YouTube as well. So I'll have a link for you for that before too long. And then we'd also like to get these up on some other platforms. So be sure to keep an eye out for those. And we'll keep putting out some more interviews related to the world of jazz and improvised music. All right, gang. Hope everybody has a great time. Stay safe out there. And join us next week for another episode of Jazztopia. Thanks, gang. See ya.